The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. You know, it is, it is wonderful to know that we do possess and share together such a great hope. And uh, hope is one of those words that for a long time I, I don't think I've really caught the, the full impact of and I still wrestle with because we get the idea of hope confused with wishes. You know, like I wish, you know, I had done things differently or I wish I had a new car or I don't know. Uh, wishes can be kind of trivial things that uh, don't have the same weight and some sense of true hope in the biblical sense. Uh, and hope really is a certain confidence or certainty about the future. Uh, Paul says that the three great things are faith, hope, and love, right? So faith is important, and it's substantial. But I, and I think to really understand what hope is, I don't know what you hope for this morning, as Grace asked you to ask what you are hoping for. Maybe if you're in school, you're hoping to pass your exam this week, or hoping some guy likes you. Uh, maybe if you're older, you're hoping your kids, you know, don't get in trouble, hoping you, uh, your support comes in this month, and, uh, you know, we hope for those kind of things. But hope in its most certain and, and largest form uh, really gains its full weight and impact in the face of death. Okay, what hope really is about is, is the future and ultimately our eternal future. So to really understand hope, we have to put it in the context of dying. And of course, nobody of us, no one is really eagerly wants to go there in our thoughts or in reality. You know, we don't generally think, well, I hope I live forever, right? Because uh, death is not something we easily face or want to look at. But we're going to look at it this morning in Genesis chapter 23 as we look at the death of Sarah. And it's significant that uh, in her story, we are reminded of hope. And that's where hope really lives, is in the midst of uh, our death. So let's look at this, and uh, um, we want to kind of go through the story briefly, and then really look at it in its bigger context. Um, and I'll read the first two verses, chapter, starting in chapter 23, starting at verse 1. When Sarah was, 20, was 127 years old, she died at Kiriath Arba, now called Hebron, in the land of Canaan. There Abraham mourned and wept for her. Uh, to kind of put this in chronological perspective and its timetable, uh, Sarah was 127 years old when she died, which means that by this point in her life, Isaac, her child, was, would be 37. So really about 37 years have gone by since we last saw into the life of Abram and Sarah. She's grown to a full old age of 127. It's been 62 years since they first entered Canaan, since they first left their home in Haran and came to uh, the promised land. So for 62 years they've been walking with God, looking toward the fulfillment of his promise, and had seen God answer and fulfill many of those promises, to bless them, to give them prosperity, to give Sarah a son in her old age. Uh, even at the age of 90. But uh, her, her old life is, is capped off with these words, she died, okay? 
Okay, that's all the fanfare we get to her death. You know, it doesn't say anything more. She died well, she died poorly. It just says she died. Uh, short and to the point. And it really takes us back to the language of Genesis chapter 5. Remember Genesis chapter 5, this long genealogy of people from Adam up to Noah at that time, or up to, I don't know who actually at that time, a bunch of dead people who lived a really long time, but every one of them, it ends with, and they died, and they died, and they died. We haven't really heard that phrase. In fact, the last genealogy that was recorded, it just said how long they lived. It didn't really say that they died. But here, we're brought back to this, we're confronted again with this reality that death still rules, right? Uh, the sin, the fall, uh, the judgment that that brought is still present. And even though with Abraham and Sarah, God has brought a new, them under a new covenant, they have received in a very special way God's hand and blessing, God's presence with them in a very real and powerful way. Yet at the end of it all, she dies. She dies. Okay? They're still living under the powerful effects of sin and death, right? And so it's sad, and it is, uh, it is really heartbreaking. And uh, the response to that is always mourning and grief. And that's what Abraham does. Abraham, it says, goes into his wife's tent, goes, kneels down before her, her bed, her cot, uh, where her body is lying still, and he, he wails. The word that's used there is the same word that's used for the mourners who would go wailing. And oftentimes that's how deaths were announced. He cries bitterly. He mourns deeply for his, his wife. Um, uh, it's, it's significant that it mentions here that, he's, that they're now in Hebron. Uh, last time we saw them, 37 years ago, they were living in Beersheba in the far south of what would one day be Israel. They had a good relationship there, and you kind of wonder why he came back to Hebron. What is it about Hebron? Hebron is more central in the, what would one day be the promised land. Why was, why was Abraham there? Well, it doesn't say. We can only guess. But I wonder... You know, things had been well in, in the south. He'd formed this treaty with Abimelech. He had kind of free reign of the land there. It, it apparently had been a good place to have his family and his cattle and livestock. But now we find him back in Hebron. And uh, it doesn't say, but you wonder if, if Abraham had a sense of his coming death, that he was getting near the end of his life, and he was thinking about dying. He was thinking about death. And he was thinking about where he wanted to be when his last day came. Right? Maybe you've thought about that. Where do you want to be when your last day comes? Maybe if you, some, some of you want to be in Thailand. Maybe some of you want to be somewhere else. He had thought about it, I think. And he chose, I believe he chose to return to Hebron. And uh, Hebron, if you remember, go way back to Genesis 12 and 13. Uh, when Abraham first arrived, some of the first places where God appeared to him, where he first worshipped God, where he built altars to God, was at the Oaks of Mamre, which was at Hebron, very near here. So here he is, and he uh, has lost his wife, and he is dealing with the pain of her death. Um, and there really is, as we all know, there really is no pain greater than the pain of this kind of loss. When somebody very near, close to us dies, it is just heartbreaking, Right? And even though we, in, in, as believers, have a hope, and even though it's true that the sting of death is gone, the reality is it still hurts. It's still incredibly painful when people die. Uh, 
it causes us to mourn and to grieve. And it's, it's actually kind of an interesting phenomenon. Did you ever think about this? Did you ever wonder why it hurts so much when people die? We know it's true. In fact, it's so true, it's a reality that would be indisputed. You can go to any culture, any people, any time in history, and we know that death is, is incredibly painful. But did you ever wonder why? Ever think about that? Why is it we grieve so much when somebody dies? Um, the reality is she was 127 years old. You know, her days of tennis and ping pong and, you know, hiking the Alps were over, Right? We should be happy for her, right? She, you know, she lived a good long life. And, and, you know, sometimes people say those kind of things. You know, you hear people say when they don't know what to say at a funeral, well, they lived a good long life. Like, you know, we're glad they're gone. But the truth is it still hurts, right? It still hurts. Um, no matter how old they are, when somebody we love and is dear to us is taken away, there's this huge hole where they were, and it hurts. Um, I'm reminded... Uh, you know how this works uh, about a year ago uh, our little guy Matthew at, at Bonsan Rock died and he was three and a half years old and many of you know the story that he from his first day of his birth was uh, dealt this terrible hand of cards of huge disabilities and uh, in many ways it was a great mercy of God that he died because he suffered a lot just suffered a lot uh, was, was never going to grow up never going to have any kind of normal life and there's a part of you that, a part of me that was quite relieved when he died because it was so hard to watch him suffer so much, you know. But for those close to him, especially for the staff who were his, his mom, uh, his moms really, it was painful for them, okay. Even though they knew, you know, every rational explanation said it was much better for him to be gone. Yet it hurt deeply, right. It grieved them deeply. They cried bitterly over the loss of that little guy. Why is that? Right? Why is it it hurts so much? Well, I don't want to get into all the philosophical things of why that could be. But I think bottom line is we know that death is not natural and normal. There is something that instinctively tells us we were not created to die. Right? That we are eternal beings. And that we're supposed to live forever. And that when we love somebody, it's supposed to last forever. That's how God created and designed us. And for every human being, when they are confronted with death, they come face to face with the reality that something is wrong in the world, that sin has done something to us that's not right and normal. Now, they, you know, an unbeliever may not have the theology to put it in that words. All they know is it hurts and it stinks and it's wrong. And they want their money back, right? They say, this is not the way it's supposed to be. There's something wrong with this picture, right? And that's, that's what we face with death. And it's true. It's not how God created us. It is not God's ultimate plan and purpose. It's not what he intended for humanity. It is the result of sin and the curse. Right? And so it reminds us that something's wrong. And so he grieved for this great loss. Okay? He could not celebrate it. Uh, he grieved it because it's not natural. It's not what God intended. And it hurts. Um, and he missed his wife. And you, sometimes as you read through the account of Abraham and Sarah, sometimes you wonder how much he really loved her. You know, I mean, twice he gives her away to, like, other guys as his wife. I mean, you wonder. Well, I don't know if it was a matter of him maturing or growing or whatever, but you see here a guy who was deeply grief-stricken at the loss of his wife. And whatever he failed during their married life, he loved her dearly. 
and he felt deeply the loss. And he's faced with a huge crisis. Uh, and the crisis is this. Where is he going to bury her? Okay, where is he going to bury her? Um, what is he going to do? It says, it says in verse 3, Leaving her body, he said to the Hittite elders, Here I am, a stranger and a foreigner among you. Please sell me a piece of land so I can give my wife a proper burial. Uh, Abraham, all this time, had lived 62 years as, a, as an alien, as a, strain, as a foreigner, as a sojourner. Uh, and as such, he had no legal rights to purchase land. Right? And uh, for those of us who live in Thailand as foreigners, we know how this works. You know, we would like to buy houses. We would like to buy land. Some of us would like to settle down and sink deep roots here. But you're not allowed to. Okay? You can't, as a foreigner, own land. And that's how much of the world operates. And that was true in, in, uh, in, in Abraham's day. He lived all that time renting houses. Okay? Poor guy. We know how that is, living in rental houses, right? Landlord always nagging you, always went up to rent. I mean, that was Abraham's life. Renting pasture, leasing pasture, finding public grazing land, whatever. Uh, and it worked okay when it was sheep, you know, because you can move sheep, you can, you know, you get kicked off one rental ground, you go rent somewhere else. But he's faced with this huge crisis and dilemma now because you just don't drag dead people around with you, okay? You don't do that. You bury them and they stay, right? You put them in the ground, they stay there. And so where does he bury her? Uh, in that day, the custom, the tradition would have been to go home to your forefathers, to the land or country of your forefathers, and bury her there, right? But Abraham had permanently left Haran and his family, right? Uh, the land, the holdings, the property he would have owned there, uh, he chose not to go back to, right? He did not go back to Haran. He went to Hebron. Uh, he made sure he was firmly set in the center of the promised land. But now he's got a problem. Where does he bury his wife? Right? Um, what is he going to do? Um, now, in our day, you may think, well, it's not that big of a deal. You know, it's, what's the big dilemma? And we have public you know, burial places where you can bury someone, and it's kind of protected. Even in Thailand, if you were to die and wanted to be buried here, you can buy land, and you can be buried in a uh, cemetery, right? And 300 years from now, your descendants can come back and look at your stone and know you're still there, right? Well, uh, without a public cemetery, there's no guarantee of that. And so for, for him, it was a big deal. And we'll see further on why it's a big deal, even, even more than just the practical problems of it. Um, he needs to bury his wife. Where, where does he do it? Um, well, he goes to the Hittites, and he asks for them to sell him land for this purpose. And uh, basically, his pleas to the Hittites take three rounds. Uh, round one, he goes to them, and he says, Look, I'm a foreigner. I'm a stranger. And I don't have a right to purchase land, but please have mercy. And because of the unique circumstances that I need to bury my wife, I, I implore you, I beg you, please sell me a piece of land. Um, and the Hittites respond uh, in verse 5, uh, Listen, my lord, uh, literally a mighty prince or prince of God, you are an honored prince among us. Choose the finest of our tombs and bury her there. No one will refuse to help you in this way. Okay, it's interesting, uh, Abraham's 
kind of status among these people. They call him a mighty prince or prince of God, literally a prince of Elohim. Most likely the word is used here just to mean mighty or great, grand. Uh, they recognize him as this, this uh, very successful, very well-off prince among them. And they want to honor him, and they say, look, look, Abraham, don't, don't stress this, don't worry. You can take the pick of the best tombs among our most wealthy people. We, want to, we will give you the best that's available. Okay, they honor Abraham in that way, they respect him in that way, and they open up to him. Look, just, they said, look, just, just take your pick. We'll give you any burial site you want. We'll give it to you, and we'll let you bury one of our tombs. Way it back, worked back in those days, uh, most of, especially if you're wealthy and had land, you would build a little cave or uh, a house underground uh, because you would use this tomb over and over again for many generations. You would bury people in this, in this crypt. And so he said, you know, you just use one of ours, Parker there, right? And um, the ironic thing is, is uh, you know, when she was alive, Abraham had no problem with this, Right? When he was alive, when she was alive, she had no problem shipping her off to some guy's house to be her wife. But now that she's dead, it's unthinkable. What's going on with Abraham? He says, no, absolutely not. I can't do this. He says, please sell me a piece of land. Please sell me a piece of property. Uh, he doesn't want to dishonor them. He doesn't want to disrespect them. But he says, look, I can't do that. I cannot bury her with you. All right, Interesting. Um, so he goes to round two. He says, uh, it says in verse seven that he gets up and he bows before them, uh, bows low before them. And he says, since you are willing to help me in this way, <laughs> okay, he's kind of taking liberty here. Since you're willing to help me in this way, be so kind as to ask Ephron, son of Zohar, to let me buy his cave at Machpelah, down at the end of his field, I will pay the full price in the presence of witnesses, so I will have a permanent burial place for my family. Okay, round two. I love this. Abraham gets up, and they're probably sitting at the gate where official business was conducted. He gets up, he goes down, and he he bows himself low before the Hittites. Okay, two things that we can observe there. One is just the humility of Abraham. Here he'd been called a great prince. He was an elderly man. He had status. He throws all that aside. He goes up. He bows low before them. And he does it because he truly is a humble guy. But he does it also because this is a big deal to him. Okay, he earnestly and determinedly bows before them. He says, look, please. He's, he's begging. He is imploring them. He's saying, please, please, let me buy uh, Ephron's field, his cave, right, as a permanent burial place. Well, Ephron is sitting there. In the, in the crowd. And so his response is to say, No, my Lord Abraham, please listen to me. I will give you the field and the cave. Here in the presence of my people, I give it to you. Go and bury your dead. Okay, so first they offer somebody else's tomb. Abraham refuses. Secondly, Ephron offers to give him the tomb. Again, Abraham refuses it. Okay, now this is pretty remarkable, okay? First of all, you know, he, he, um, he doesn't want his wife to be buried with them in their tomb. Second of all, get this, Abraham, the father of all Jewish people, refuses something free, okay? <laughs> he actually wants to pay for it. Okay, what's wrong with him, right? 
They want to give it to him for free. What a deal. We love free. Not in this case, right? He says, no, no, I don't want it free. Okay, I want to pay for it. Why? He says, I want this for a, perma- I want this for a permanent possession. I want this for a permanent burial. He says, I want deed and title. Okay, this is the deal. He says, you give it to me free, and I don't know when you're going to go back on the deal, right? You're going to say, well, we just meant, you know, free for now, but it's still ours. Okay, he wanted rights of ownership. That's what this is about. Okay, he's pressing. He says, I want the deed entitled to this land. I want it in my name because I want a permanent burial place for my wife. Right? So round three, he gets up, he bows low again, uh, and he replies to Ephron. And he says, no, please listen to me. Okay? And the words there are very strong. It doesn't just mean listen up. It means, please, I, I implore you, I beg you, hear me out here. Hear my heart in this thing. I will buy it from you. Let me pay the full price for the field so I can bury my dead there. You get the picture? This is a big deal to Abraham. This is serious stuff. Now, I don't know if it's because he's grown and matured so much. I think a lot of it is that he has grown in his faith and his confidence in God. He's no longer compromising like he did first couple of times when he lost Sarah to the king of Egypt and later to the to king of Abimelech. He's fighting for this. Sad that, you know, Sarah wasn't actually awake to see it all. She would have been very touched by all this, I'm sure. But he's serious about this. He says, money's not an issue. Just please give me permission to buy this land. So finally, Ephron says, my Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 pieces of silver, but what is that between friends? Go ahead and bury your dead. In other words, he sells them the land. He says, 400 pieces. Now, we don't know if that was a good deal or a bad deal. We don't know if he got ripped off. Abraham doesn't flinch, okay? He doesn't bargain. He doesn't barter, okay? Uh, he says, great, 400 pieces of silver, sold, deal done, right? And then he goes and he buries Sarah. Bought the pot of land belonging to Ephron and Machpelah near Mamre. This included the field, the cave, and all the surrounding trees. And it was transferred to Abraham as his permanent possession. That's what he wanted. Permanent possession, deeded land, and the presence of the Hittite elders at the city gate. Then Abraham buried his wife Sarah there in Canaan in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre. So the field and the cave were transferred to Abraham for use as a permanent burial place. Um, now he can bury his wife, and he does. Um, and that's the story, okay? Now, I want to kind of just go back through and think about it. Uh, why was this such a big deal? It's interesting, the whole story, 20 verses, two verses go to, Ab- uh, to Sarah's death. The rest of the verses go to him buying this land, right? Why was this such a big deal? What's really going on here? Is there more to this story than maybe we would see at, at a casual reading? Well, I think there is more going on. And I think it's significant that the author takes the time to detail this land transaction. Uh, why was this such a big deal? Well, I think that it really spells out uh, in Abraham's life everything he did, everything that the author uh, shows us is really a progression and development of Abraham as a man of faith, right? 
you go through all the stories of Abraham through Genesis, and what we see over and over again is Abraham's growth and example as a man of faith. And it culminates where? Chapter 22, right? When he offers his son Isaac. And it's the ultimate example of faith, that he had such confidence and faith in what God could do and would do that Abraham can sacrifice his son because he's so confident in the power of God to fulfill the promise, right? And then we come to chapter 23, right on the heels of that. And you got this, what seems like a rather mundane story about this land purchase so you can have a burial site. But you see, it's really much more than that. It really is about this man of faith who still is living with great hope and confidence in what? The promise and power of God, right? Why does it... Why is it so necessary uh, that, that he owns this land, that he owns this burial plot? Um, and really, what is, the, what is the big deal? You know, there's one, one mystery about death in that we, uh, we grieve so over it. Another mystery of death is why we make such a big deal of how we dispose of a body, right? Every, think about this. Every culture around the world throughout history has made a big deal of how we get rid of a body once the soul is gone. You ever think about that? Um, this is a horrible illustration, but I just, it's just worthy of, of stating because it's such a good illustration. You know, uh, I love trash cans. I love it here that in, in our country, uh, if you, something gets old and worn out, you just take it out and set it beside the trash can, and it just disappears the next day. I love that. We never do that with 90-year-old Aunt Betty when she dies. Right? Okay, we don't do that. We don't just take somebody when they die and just set them out by the trash can so that they disappear the next day, right? That's unthinkable, right? It's just unthinkable that you would do that, right? We give great fanfare to how we dispose of this body. Why? Why is it such a big deal? Well, I think instinctively there's this sense uh, in us, in every human being, that... Human beings uh, are eternal, right? There is some sense that when people die, some part of the human being continues on. And virtually every culture, their burial practices reflect that conviction and belief, right? Uh, Why do Thai Buddhists burn a body? To set the spirit free, right? Set the spirit free. Um, and, and, you know, every, well, not about every country or every culture, but many cultures believe in ghosts, right? And there's a sense that the spirit, the person, lives on, right? And so we, we take great care in how we dispose of the body, how we bury them, how we put them to rest. Because there's a sense that we are eternal beings. And we sense that most deeply at the moment of death, when we know this life is over and the person has gone on to something else, Right? And we talk in those terms. We talk about the next life. We talk about our hope for where they went. Uh, if you're in the West, from Western cultures, you know, we talk about this great conviction that they must have gone to a good place because they were a good person, right? Um, not so sure about the hope that's there apart from Christ. But there's this sense of it. Uh, we instinctively understand that there's so much more than meets the eye. And we see that in the way we handle people at death. Well, Abraham goes to great lengths to to bury Sarah's body because he knows that we were created by God as eternal beings. And I really believe that Abraham had a deep conviction 
that all of God's promises transcended far beyond his life and the promised land, right? That Abraham knew that it wasn't just about this life. Now, it's true that for Abraham, and we know for uh, early Israelite culture, their theology about death was very sketchy, okay? They didn't have this great theology worked out like we do about death and dying and heaven and hell. Um, They basically believed that you went to the place of the dead, Sheol. And Sheol was neither good or bad. It was just where dead people were. It was the the place of the dead. Um, And eventually they had this evolving idea that someday uh, there would be a resurrection. And I don't know that Abraham had all that worked out theologically, but I think instinctively he knew that this was not the end for Sarah. Uh, Her spirit lived on, and he had a sense of that. Uh, But more than that, because if that was all it was, he still could have just gone and buried her anywhere. I mean, why not go out and find some hillside, some nice spot under some tree, dig a hole in the ground, and put her body in? Why was it so important that he owned this piece of land permanently? Okay, you come back to that question. Why? Well, I think it's because of this. Unlike most cultures and most places where they had a sense that the soul or the spirit lived on, Abraham knew that... uh, we were created by God as whole people with bodies. And that our future full existence wouldn't come to completion until body and soul were, re- were reunited, right? Uh, I think he, he had the hope that he had to put Sarah in the ground because someday God was going to come back and resurrect her. Now, it doesn't say that here. In fact, it doesn't say that explicitly anywhere in Genesis. But if you look through, there are subtle signs, subtle hints that they had this conviction. But I'm, I'm going to fast forward because um, instead of guessing at what they may have thought in Genesis, I'm going to go to another source, and that is in Hebrews. Uh, and the writer of Hebrews, under the uh, inspiration of the, and leading of the Holy Spirit, really gives us a commentary on what's going on here in Genesis. Right? So instead of guessing, let's just let the Holy Spirit speak to us from Hebrews 11. First of all, I think Abraham understood that there was a heavenly home. And uh, the first indication of that is in what, what he learned through his experience with Isaac. Notice what it says in Hebrews 11:17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You see, when when Abraham trusted God to raise Isaac, uh, it put in his heart and mind the reality that God was a God of resurrection. Okay, that God had power over death. And we saw that as we looked last week in in, uh, Genesis chapter 22. But notice what else it says. Go up a few verses in Hebrews 11 to chapter 8. And it says this, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Okay, So God said, Abraham, go to the land I will show you. And Abraham, in obedience and faith, goes. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. 
By faith he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs uh, with him of that same promise. Now get this, verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Okay, what city has God as its designer and builder? By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Okay, so Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, they looked from a distance at a future hope. What was the future hope? Uh, Was it just that someday Israel would be Israel in the land of Canaan and that forever his body would lie in this land that belonged to his ancestors? Well, not according to the author of Hebrews. He says this, These died in faith, not having received the thing promised, but seeing it from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, that is, earth, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he was preparing for them a city. Right? Bottom line, I think Abraham knew, not with great theological arguments, but somewhere in his heart and soul, he knew there was more. And it was a great act of faith for him to purchase this land and put Sarah there, and someday knowing he too would lie there, confident that God would someday raise up that body and re-put in it his own spirit and soul and bring him back to eternal life to fulfill the ultimate of God's promises. Right? Uh, that is hope. Okay, that is hope. The hope is not that we live someday eternally floating off in some cosmic atmosphere as spirits. Let me ask you this. If you were to picture right now and picture in your mind a ghost, what do you picture? Okay. Uh, What's the Christmas one? Uh, A Christmas carol. Okay, Marley comes back. Marley's ghost. What does Marley's ghost look like? Looks like Marley, right? He's got a body. I love the latest version of it. His jaw keeps falling out. He's got to wire it up. He's falling apart. But he's got a body, right? Why? Well, it's because instinctively know that we are not a whole person without the body, right? We're not just a spirit. In fact, it is, is, for me, it's impossible to imagine myself as only a spirit. Okay? That's why our ghosts have bodies, right? Because that's what it is to be us. It's a whole person that God created, body, soul, mind, and spirit. And the hope, the hope that we live in is that we will survive death, right? Uh, now, does it mean like Abraham that to really believe this, we have to bury ourselves in a permanent place that we belong? Well, no, I don't think it's necessary for us, but it was an important act of faith for Abraham, Right? 
Because he was stating by this one act, I believe it's not over. I believe there is more. Right? And I am, I am investing in eternity because I've got deeded right and claim to this land. It's mine forever. So God comes back and takes me out of it. Right? That's faith. Okay, that's faith and that's the hope. Uh, and because of that, we can truly rest in peace. Last scripture uh, from Second um, Timothy 1. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Okay, what's the power of God? Well, the power of God is this. It is he who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. You get that? God's purpose and promise is to give us eternal life before the ages began. Before he created the world, he did what? He gave you and I eternal life. He created us as eternal beings to inherit all eternity with him in Christ Jesus, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who did what? Who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Good news is this. And sadly, Abraham, as it says, you know, he saw this from a distance. He didn't understand what it really all meant. We get the full picture, okay? If Abraham could hope in this with as little information as he had, okay, this ought to just light us up, okay? This ought to fill us with such hope that we just are excited about dying, all right? Not too soon, but we're excited about what awaits us because of what Jesus has done for us. Um, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came, died, was buried, and did what? Rose again, bodily resurrection, a new person complete, never to die again, as a first fruit of what is ours. Right? The hope is the resurrection. Uh, Abraham was not so focused on the here and now that he missed this point. I really believe that. It's not stated explicitly, but I think it's there in what he did. He was thinking about the future, wasn't he? This burial ground meant so much to him because it was all about the future, a future far beyond his life. It was important. It was the only purchase Abraham made in his whole life of land. But he bought this because why? Because it was an investment in the future. Because he was, had faith in what was to come, Right? You know, the danger for us is that we live so much of our life in the here and now, uh, we lose sight of what our ultimate future is. Now, I'm not saying we should go around living, you know, like one of these crazy people that sells everything and goes up to the top of Doisu Tap and waits for the future, right? I'm not saying we don't live life here and now, and granted, every day we deal with things. But we should always deal with it in perspective of our great eternal future and what we are. We are eternal beings. Through the death and resurrection of Christ, we have received what God intended us from before the beginning of the world, that we are eternal beings. There is great hope in that. What can ever happen to you to wreck that? Right? Uh, you can get cancer. You can uh, get some horrible disease. You can get in a terrible accident. And you can die. 
it doesn't phase our hope, right? Because we are eternal beings. We are gloriously redeemed for eternity, right? Uh, We don't get eternal life when we die. We have eternal life now in Christ, right? We just get to take a nap for a while, okay? One of these days you're going to get so worn out, you're going to go to sleep, and you're going to take a really long nap, and then you're going to wake up, and you're going to be with Jesus, with your body, alive and awake for all eternity. Amen? You look forward to that day? If you don't look forward to that day, your life here now is too good. And we need to pray for suffering, okay? You need to pray for suffering so that you look forward to that day, right? Because it's way better than what you have now. Way better. One last thought, and it's this. You know, poor Sarah really didn't get the best cover in this story. I mean, from beginning to end of of the Genesis story. You know, she's never seen as a person of incredible faith. She always kind of seems to be messing when messing it up. When God announces the birth of Isaac, what does Sarah do? She laughs. And God says, I heard that. And she says, no, wasn't me. <coughs> wasn't me, right? And, uh, you know, later she kicks Ishmael out. She seems like this kind of bitter, hard, cruel, nasty woman. Uh, but the good news is, not only do we get eternal life, okay? This is not just about eternal life. Living forever as a screwed-up person is not that great, okay? Living for 70 years as a screwed-up person is bad enough. I don't want to live this way forever. The good news is that through Jesus, through his work, as it says in 1 Timothy, through through his grace and his mercy, when we resurrect with our new body, we resurrect to a new life, right? Uh, I love in, in, in Hebrews when it talks about Sarah, it speaks of her as a woman of great faith. Where does that come from? You read the story, you're going, I still see it in Genesis. It's because it's not in Genesis. It's in Revelation. It's in eternity, right? We resurrect to a new life where Jesus took our shame, our failure, our mistake, our disappointments, our mess-ups. And good news is this. When we resurrect to new life, it's gone, Right? In fact, the good news is that today, in Christ, it's gone, right? We live in resurrection life, okay? Not only when we die, but spiritually we have been made alive. We've been given new life in Christ. And this new life in Christ is not a life uh, that's scarred with the old scars of sin, right? Uh, Satan would love to beat you up about your past failures. Do not let him, okay? The, uh, the hope of Abraham is a hope of a new life, a resurrected life that we inherit through Christ where we are given his righteousness and perfection. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the hope that we have in you. And Lord, uh, no matter how bad our past is, no matter how difficult our present is, we have great hope in our future. Um, Hope of life with you. And Lord, we praise you that much of that we will enjoy after we die. But some of it is even available now through Christ. 
that what Abraham saw afar off and longed for, we actually already possess because of Jesus' death and resurrection. We can come into your presence. We today have access to the very throne of God to come spotless and righteous, cleansed and washed of all sin. And Lord, there's nothing before us that can ever rob us or steal away your love and the hope that we have in life with you. Lord, help us to see what we are as your creatures, created as eternal beings. Lord, help us have a grander vision of our life, uh, not because of what we are, but because of what you have made us to be in Christ. Lord, help us to praise you and celebrate and live that life of joy and union with you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.